Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. This is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Podcast. And today I am so excited to welcome my guest, Kristen Little. She is a counselor here in the Seattle area. She works in the collaborative process. She works with families, two home families dealing with children. She works as a child specialist. She's also an author. I will let her tell us about the books she has authored and co-authored. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, tell us first, I mean, just about your book so we can get them out there. So people, because you know that we always want to look things up on Amazon real quick. Tell us about the books you've written. Well, the first one that I wrote was with Karen Bunnell, who is just an absolute goddess. And it is the co-parenting handbook. And then obviously deals with, you know, co-parenting kind of from soup to nuts. And I wrote the child specialist piece and child specialist is really uh, kind of a specialist in helping children cope with the divorce and helping parents support their children in divorce. And she wrote the more uh, co-parent coaching part. So the book that I wrote is called No More Us, which is probably the saddest title ever, but (laughs) it is, it's very specific you know, kind of experience of being left when you don't want to be left because we find in the divorce community, we kind of find there's a certain sort of dynamic that happens left and there's a certain type of grieving and responses. So I wrote that book a couple of years ago. I agree though. I mean, we call it the lever and the left behind, like in our legal office. And I always want to know if the potential client who's calling us, you know, is the lever or the left behind because truly emotionally it is so different, you know, in what you're dealing with. Well, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, but I really just wanted to get those books out there so people can, you know, be looking them up or doing what they want to do, write that down. But um, first tell us, I always like to know, I mean, what makes you a mom in a family? Like, who do you share your household with? What does that look like? Well, my household is pretty small. It's just myself and my son. He's now 14. Wow. And I experienced divorce at around like, you know, one and a half, two years old. Uh, So it's kind of small, but it also does include, our household does include my ex-husband, his wife and their daughter. Right. Yeah. Well, you all have done an amazing job of creating that two family home where your son is able to easily go between the homes, right? Yeah. And, and for lots of reasons, you know, it wasn't always easy, but it actually, I think what it does is it gives me the family that I, I really wanted, you know, well, not the family I really wanted, but (laughs) it gives me the best chance at having family. Um, So I, I really appreciate those relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I'm sure your book, The No More Us, I mean, really discusses that and what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, it's when there's kind of that grieving of the family you thought you were going to have. And how do we get to from that to reengaging for what is left, what you could possibly have? It's not, you know, right. It's not always possible, but you can do so much to, or at least, you know, minimize the conflict that you're going to have in your life. 
Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about your career path. I mean, how has your career evolved or did it evolve because of your own experience? I mean, tell us about your approaches in your career, your perspective. I mean, I'd love to know more about your path as a counselor and child specialist and author. Circuitous. That would be a word. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I started as a flight attendant. Oh, I'm afraid of flying. So that was, I stayed with it. I did stay with it. I stayed with it um, for five years. So I actually, it's funny because I think the parenthood and, you know, unfortunately the divorce actually is what made my career. I would never have thought that I would never have kind of wanted that path, but, you know, I do always have this sense that things kind of come together in a, in a way. And that maybe that's just something that I say to myself to make myself feel, you know, better as I'm going through really uncomfortable experiences, but it, it does. I mean, yep. there's no way that I would have gotten here. So I, I was a therapist. I was kind of, you know, working up in Bellingham before I got married and working in oh. clinics and, and then I got married and moved down to Seattle. And I worked in a lot of clinics with kids like, you know, Seattle Children's Home and mm-hmm. um, Catholic Community Services, and YMCA. And as wonderful as those places were, I mean, you make literally nothing. Right. And you work a lot. And so I had this sense of myself as, you know, the therapist who does the hard work and doesn't really ask for much because we're doing it out of, you know, the goodness of our heart, which I was. But it was actually a real strain in my marriage as well. I mean, rightfully so. My then husband was saying, well, why are you making like, you know, you have a master's degree. What's going on? And I would be like, no, 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 no. And what, this is why I think the divorce made my career is because I came from a long line of people who, you know, our thing was be humble, you know, um, don't stick your neck out there because, you know, there's just some sort of insecurity and vulnerability around that in my family. And so I, kept down that path for a really long time. But then the divorce told me, you know, you are responsible for making your own life. And I had to get myself out there whether or not I wanted to. And I did, you know, and it was just eye opening of how much I was really underestimating myself. Totally. It's so fascinating. I mean, we have led a very similar situation. I mean, I would say my divorce completely, you know, guided my career and still does, you know, of, figuring out how to navigate problems and things and, you know, just all kinds of things and realizing that you do have a lot of autonomy and ability to do more than you ever gave yourself credit for. I mean, that is fascinating. I didn't realize that. That is really interesting. Well, I mean, how does that play into, you know, your approach when you're working with families and you're working as a child specialist or as a counselor in helping people, you know, understand how to move forward constructively. I think it gives me a lot of compassion because when I see somebody, you know, in that stuck space where, um, or, or angry space, which is also a stuck space, you know, just, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, it's easy to get mad at people who acted like me because, we're just, you know, like, I just cried. I mean, literally snot crying my whole, you know, first couple of sessions with the attorneys because this was not what I wanted. So if I participated in it, then I would be kind of giving it, validating it. And so I'm owning it. Yeah. Cry. And so what I like to do is kind of like my learning was around 
if you don't have a hand in this, whether or not you want it or not, you're not, if you don't participate, you're not going to get what you right. need. Right. You can have kind of two tracks. One, I'm mad as hell and I don't want to do this. And the other one where, but I need to, you know, get myself kind of advocate for myself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, so that's kind of what I think it really informs is like, you got a job to do and take that parenting sort of, you know, instinct that you have and protect not the past because you can't have it anymore, but protect your future. Right. Well, and that is, it really brings me to my next question. In reading your blogs, you have a lot of material around boundaries and how boundaries are, you know, really not about the other person, but more about you. Can you talk a little bit about boundaries and how you bring boundaries into your work? Yeah, I think it's especially difficult when you're going from a marriage to co-parenting and if you continue just to do what you do, what your instincts tell you to do with this person that you've been married to, then you just end up, I mean, it didn't work in your marriage. It's probably not going to work now. And you just end up doing the same thing. Then you get resentful. Like, you know, if you've got somebody who just always, Oh, I'm going on a trip. And, you know, so I'm going to bring, you know, Sebastian over my son, you know, that it's not going to fly. You're going to end up feeling like, wait a second, I'm not your wife anymore. So it's better to just do it really clearly because it saves relationships. Right. And that's hard for people to do when they're, you know, maybe some people are still very much connected to this person and they want any sort of connection, but it doesn't make for long-term good relationships. Uh, I think what I try to tell people is that if, if you really have a relationship with this person, they, you should be able to tell them no, then without some big, huge blow up. Right. If you tell somebody no, then there's a problem. But boundaries for me are just, I think it kind of probably is one of my kind of learnings in this life is that <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, I pick up emotions really well. Right. And so that can be really overwhelming when you're a kid and you're just kind of picking up everybody's emotions and it's, it's overwhelming. So learning how I, I tell clients this, I say, you know, like you have a superpower, but like, let's figure out how to use your superpower rather than having it use you. So know when you're going to put on that cape, but you get to choose when you're going to do that. Right. Gosh, that's such a good visual. Yeah. I mean, I think boundaries are such an important yet really hard thing to learn. I mean, and especially for certain personality types, mm -hmm. you know, I think that boundaries come less easy. And then you find yourself, like you say, where you're in the same co-parenting kind of negative circles and that didn't work in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think boundary work is so, so important. I mean, one of the things I find as an attorney in dealing with somebody in your role, like a child specialist, when I'm trying to explain to a client what a child specialist can do for their family. And sometimes I'm sure, as you know, you'll have a parent that's super resistant. Like, I don't need somebody else to tell me what my kid is thinking or I don't need this. And they're very resistant to the idea of, you know, kind of like bringing in the voice of the child into the process? Well, I think that, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's can be very vulnerable to have somebody else tell you what your child's saying, but I try to tell parents, like, you know, those arguments you have about, you know, how Bobby is feeling, you know, like, no, he's feeling this way. Your eye is not on Bobby, right? You know, your eye is on like, fighting about that. So wouldn't it be nice to have somebody just to be able to kind of go in there and give you a neutral view 
of what your child is feeling, what's helping, what's hurting and what questions they have. And it's not like that I'm so special, but it's just that we frame it in a way that allows, you know, a child to know that their parents really do want to hear from them. Right. I also, you know, really one of the things that is so helpful with collaborative is I always reassure people like, you know, some people are resistant because they think it's going to have some sort of weight legally. And I tell people, I got to be direct and tell right. you exactly how I feel because you can take it or leave it. Exactly. This doesn't go anywhere. And so, you know, some people are worried about the cost. Some people feel really vulnerable. You know, some people are kind of entrenched and they have a view and they want to push it. And I tell those people like now in divorce, you have less influence over your partner than you used to. So you actually, you know, they don't have to agree with you. So you can't push your way through here. Right. Well, and I find it so interesting in bringing the child's voice into the process to be so enlightening if the parents are kind of open enough and curious to really hear the child. I mean, a lot of times I find parents are really surprised at Mm -hmm. what their children are thinking and feeling, even parents who are pretty emotionally attuned, you know, can be, I think, surprised because children have some, I have found very concrete yet basic questions and concerns. And I think a lot of times we parents don't assume their questions are as simple as they are. Yeah. It's, I think it's a lot to do with the way that just developmental and, and Mm -hmm. people tend to see their children through their own eyes and they forget just the really basic kind of mistakes that kids can make right? because they don't have the, they don't have the context of years of experience. So they can take things to extremes. And there's some really basic things we know about kids that no matter what they are going to err on the side of protecting their family structure. Sometimes it comes out a little sideways. Sometimes that means, you know, kind of getting in a loyalty conflict with one parent, but they're trying to, they're trying to fix a problem. And so there's just so many mistakes you can make at that age. Um, and many ages, there's all these different ages of what all these different kind of mistakes, people, you know, vulnerabilities. So like, you know, you know, even children, and this is not, you know, this is not super common in the work that I do, but I did a lot of work with the clinics, as I said, even children who have been maltreated by a parent, I mean, I have yet to see a kid go, you know, good riddance Yep. without something going on underneath. And a lot of times it's actually really overt. They're kids want to be seen kids yep. want to be seen for themselves and they want to be accepted and loved and they fight for that. And yeah, you're so right. And that is so hard. I think for the other parent, you know, if you do have a parent who maybe isn't, you know, neglecting to the tune of CPS kind of, you know, child protection, neglecting, but you know, is really an ill suited parent in many ways you know, even I find that other parent who maybe is doing a better job and is more attuned and kind of is on their game more, they have such a hard time understanding how this child is still wanting that acceptance and love and wanting to have that rapport with the other parent. And I find that, you know, there's so much education around explaining to both parents how important those relationships are, even if one looks a little wonkier than the other you know, that it's still critical to that child. 
Yeah, I think one of the, you know, even as adults, you know, if they're if you have an issue with a parent, you still kind of just it, it's still a wound. Um, but yeah. for kids, I mean, they personalize things, especially so because they have a unrealistic sense of where what they have power over. And they think, you know, I can do this because it seems kind of simple from their point of view right. and they'll do it by being really, really good or really, really bad or, you know, lots of strategies. But <laughs> what they do is they just kind of say, maybe I can make this better. Yeah. Maybe they start caretaking or they start protecting in some sort of way. But it's the longing of this person is supposed to love and accept me. Maybe I, I want this to happen. I don't want to accept that it's not going to happen. I think it gets really tricky when you've got somebody who has actually got an impairment. Right. You know, and, and that's where is, you know, something to be really careful about, but at some point, you know, if, if there really is that with guidance, you know, being mm-hmm. able to explain what's happening for a child, because they will always take it personally. They will. And I find that they'll get in that chameleon role, you know, really trying to navigate that other parent. I mean, and the poor child gets so lost in that, you know, and then you're just the poor child, I find, has a hard time knowing, you know, what do they really think ever, (laughs) you know, because they spend so much time caretaking and stepping on eggshells around things and, um, Yeah, it's fascinating. I just think your role is so fascinating because obviously I work so much in litigation as a guardian ad litem where, you know, what I say does matter. And so people are very, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of things, you know, they come into the process guarded, defensive, you know, some very open. I mean, you know, just all the things. And but your role truly allows just some purity around bringing the child's voice out to the parents. That's the thing I love about it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have that overview of the court and it has just like, let's sit down and talk, you know, to the parents and help them understand where their child is maybe struggling or where they might be succeeding, what they're feeling. And And I mean, I could be wrong because I only see the kids once. And I I love this position because you get to kind of serve it up for the parents to look at and, and then they take it forward, you know, and, and have to, you have to find the support maybe sometimes, or just, you know, struggle in their own selves to kind of do something a little bit differently, but it is kind of, that's the purity is I, you just serve it up and I, you know, I can, I can be wrong because I, you know, but that's the whole thing is that it's for parents to consider. Exactly. And then being, and then that starts them being curious, which is really what they need to do. Right. That's all that's, you know, people always want to, you know, have a therapist kind of, they, I have, I, I, I did an interview with another person. They, they kept asking, you know, uh, when do children need therapy and divorce? And I, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I didn't do well. Um, but, it was because the question is, is multifaceted and kind of wrong. Right. Because really what parents need to do is barring some other things, they need to be curious about their kids in a way that's really open. And they have to show that they can be, you know, open without agenda. They show them that they hear them. And when you've got that, you oftentimes don't need a therapist. Exactly. Have you heard? MaxLawCon is back live and in person this fall at the Ameristar Casino Resort and Spa in St. Charles, Missouri. 
This event is for you if you're searching for the best ways to scale your law firm and you're craving connections with like-minded legal entrepreneurs. MaxLawCon 2021 has an exclusive Guild Member Mastermind Day on Monday, October 11th, with the two-day general conference on Tuesday, October 12th, and Wednesday, October 13th. These two days will be full of actionable, proven, strategic content from experts that have been in your shoes. To learn more and grab your ticket today, head to maxlawcon.com. Well, and the thing I think you made such a good point, open without agenda, and that agenda so much of the time is proving the other spouse is wrong. And it's like, if you can, I mean, in the families I work with, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, you know, people reach out to me and be like, well, my child said this. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm like, that's curious. And they're like, what do you mean? That's curious. You know, they're like, you need to call the other person and tell them, you know, not to do this or not to do that. I'm like, you're assuming what is being said is true. I was like, we can't get there yet. (laughs) You know, like, even if it's true and the kids said those words, right. It might not mean what they think it means. Exactly. You know. Oh, I mean, it's the very top of the the whole is the statement. I'm like, we've got so much to explore and understand before it has any meaning at all. Mm -hmm. And I find that parents that that's hard for them, you know, to to take that step back or not do that rush forward in accusation of the other parent. But I mean, if we and especially as attorneys, if we as attorneys cannot take our clients down those paths of accusation and be curious and help them understand that this statement from their child is a beautiful thing because it allows them to become curious and to become open to all the possibilities of what this might mean for their child. Yeah. And I think if, if anybody, you know, if anybody's wondering what, what a great, you know, sort of general thing to do is that when your kid tells you something, um, center yourself, because sometimes it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to give a weird face, but ask, go like, oh, so like, you know, how is that? Or what bothers you, you know, about that, whatever it might be is like, if they said, you know, mom's always yelling at me and say, Oh, well, you know, what does that feel like? And, you know, and, and just get curious because it might be something different than you think. And that sometimes, you know, a kid's got to get to know up the parent that they have, you know, barring some really extremes, they've got to be able to figure out what to do. And that's when a parent can say, you know, is there, is there something you want to, you know, can I help you? Or is, are you just kind of letting me know so that we can talk about it? Because right. Some people kind of have louder voices. Yep. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, I have a great story that I've told many times, but my poor son, <laughs> very sensitive. but this is how wrong you can get it. So there's a, there's a stage and some parents will know this kind of around, you know, four, five, six, where everything has feelings. Oh yeah. You know? And I gave my, sh- my son's shoes away to a neighbor boy. Cause you know, I bought them and then he never wore them. Cause he just liked right. the ones that, you know, that were comfortable. And, w- and he started crying. And he's sobbing in the bathroom. And I'm like, and I start thinking, okay, well, he is just, you know, well, I've got to have this lecture about materialism that's going to start <laughs> my mouth, right? So I start doing that. And well, you know, you never wore them. And then and he starts crying harder. And I go, honey, because that's when, when it's not working, you just got to go, let's try another fact. Right, exactly. Left turn. 
Yeah. And I said, so I gave away your shoes without asking permission. I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I said, but it feels like there's something else. And he's going, yes, mom, those, you're right. Those shoes, I think I never liked them. He thought the shoes, he thought would be, feelings would be hurt. Right? So, oh my. If I continued my story about materialism, I totally missed it. Right. He was feeling guilty or sad or compassionate for the shoes. That is priceless. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what an amazing thing, though, just to be able to step back in your own, you know, conversation with him and just ask, you know, like, what is going on and what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. I mean, because... Yeah, I think we always have little stories in our heads about what we think we know. And, you know, we don't always know what's going on. Yeah. And I think after you ask questions, I think sometimes if it's just something like a really something that sounds familiar to you and you have an appropriate sort of example that I started saying, you know, I remember going on vacation with my mom and dad. We went on you know road trips and I could only take two of my stuffies. Right. And I remember feeling so bad for the other stuffies that were left. Is it something like that? And he's like, yes, you know, and that's just right. Normal sort of developmental stage. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so awesome, though. I mean, and I love when people like you, somebody who's a therapist, you're trained, you know, all about kids developmental stages. I mean, you know, so much more than the average person does about all this. And even you can have your a situation where you're missing the boat initially, but then you're able to recover. I mean, because of that curiosity and that openness. I, I think that's probably the main issue, you know, like for a lot of parents is that stop pretending like you know it all or stop pretending like you or stop trying to do it perfectly. Your child really wants you to just to respond to them. Totally. They may not respond to that thing. I mean, I did lots of mommy moments in the bathroom, you know, going, mommy's having a moment because I need to get my head together. I wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and as a mom of many, like I can assure you, I mean, I would have situations where I thought I had nailed it with one child. I mean, literally, I was like, that worked out jamming. Then comes the next one. I mean, they threw such a curveball. And I was like, okay, whatever has worked in the past is failing with you. We need to completely regroup and try again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit down a child and be like, obviously, I'm missing something here. You know, like, what? do I need to know in this circumstance that is going to help us be able to move forward? And sometimes my kids would just flat out say, I'm not Ian or I'm not Eric. You know, I am my own person and you are coming at me with an attitude of you're dealing with Eric or you're dealing, you know, and I was like, "Mm, fair enough. I probably am doing that, (laughs) you know, but that's exactly what I was talking about. Being curious and you're getting your ego out of the way right. because it's not that you failed. It's that you needed to do something different. And I would say it's also a great example of how a child wants to be seen. Totally. We want to be seen for ourselves and, and accepted for that. Yep. And when we have this great plan, sometimes we miss the kid. Yep. Oh, yep. completely. Well, I have, I mean, a child who, I mean, now, you know, he's older, he's in the Marines, but as a freshman in high school, and he was going to one of those, you know, muckety muck Seattle private schools, 
And he literally sat me down in the parking lot. I mean, this is a freshman boy. And he said to me, he goes, mom, I have no interest in going to like Ivy League schools. Like this whole school is about creating, you know, Harvard students. He goes, that's just not me. He goes, I am going to become the best lineman in the state of Washington. I am going to master the game of football. He goes, that's what I'm doing. And I was like, okay. I'm like, fair enough. And I mean, the fact that he was able to verbalize that to me and really tell me like what mattered to him truly, like deeply as a passion. And I was thinking, you know, typical mom, I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that? Like, you're obviously not going to the NFL or, you know, like this is not going to be all that helpful. But then over time, I truly came to understand, I mean, football developed his character as a leader in a way that none other could. I mean, he became very developed as a leader and we see it in what he does now as a young adult. And it it was very important that I support that, you know, and that I get behind what he wanted and what he needed, not what I thought was the most important thing at the time. Yeah. Because you never know where the path is going to lead. Yeah. I think there's a lot of kids feel very shamed when they're not seen and that follows you. And, you know, you can make lots and lots of mistakes if you give your kid the feeling, not that you do what they say, of course not, but if you really get to know them, even the parts that you have trouble with, like my son is, you know, like many kids has dipped into gaming, you know, over the pandemic. Right. And that's something that I didn't experience. And it was just really threatening to me. You know, you picture, you know, I always joke with him, you know, I don't want you to be that kid wearing diapers in the basement, you know, with a big gulp and big Macs, you know, and <laughs> that's my own fear. And, but I kind of, that's my trigger and he knows right. it like, Oh, that's, you know how I am. I get kind of weird. So sorry, but he's also developed a lot of things with strategy and all this stuff. And it's really hard for me, but I, I needed to see that. I needed, he yeah. loved history. So that's kind of one of those things is there's a lot of games with history in them. Absolutely. And but just being up front, like when I start going into, you know, freaking out about something, I got to catch myself and say, you know what? That's about me, not about you. And I'm sorry. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's really, you know, we're not, we can't determine for our children exactly how they're going to be. We certainly can determine who their other parent is we have to help them through it. We have to be there with them. And we can't do that if we don't see them. Absolutely. Well, and one thing I have found, and I mean, I just, it it is reinforced almost daily. Parenting has been the biggest life lesson in humility for me more than anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I have learned so much humility, being able to ask my children for forgiveness you know, apologize to them when I just screw up royally, apologize when I, you know, just make a mistake. It's like a rookie mistake or I just didn't know what I was doing or just a a mistake because I was just having a bad old day and did not handle things well, you know, but I have just found parenting in the fact that, you know, we have these six kids have kind of been able to watch them all launch and help them. It has been so humbling you know, to work with them and I don't know, just try to maximize them, but at the same time, trusting them to maximize themselves, you know, and, and trusting them to fail too, you know, and to allow that to occur. 
so that they are building resilience and character and, you know, in skills around failing, because I, I think failing is a wonderful thing because yeah. I think we all learn a lot through failure. Well, and- I remember there was a point where my son, you know, he, you know, he's, he was having some trouble in school and he was, you know, doing the, the online games. And, and there was a point at which I really appreciate my uh, former husband. I never would have seen this because I think I was never, uh, never kind of made to in marriage where you fight all the time about stuff and you have to have a little more respect and distance and, you know, people grow into their roles and boy, you know, his dad has really just shown me things that I would have missed when we looked at each other and we both kind of just said, you know, we have, this kid is not, we can't see him as failing. He's got enough stuff in him. We know him well enough that even if, you know, we don't like exactly what he's doing right now, the kid is going to figure it out because he's a good kid and he's a smart kid and we just believe in him. And I think there's a faith that you don't have to do everything perfect all the time. Sometimes you have to do that failure and get too into games and go, Ooh, you know, and I also want to add, when people are making mistakes, if it's a normal part of parenting, imagine how it must feel if you're in a divorce situation or co-parenting situation where you have to protect every single second, any mistake you make. And that adds so much. Not only are you standing there going, I'm not handling this well. You're thinking, oh, what if dad or mom hears about this? Exactly. You can't get your grounded. You can't get back to yourself. And and right. so I tell a lot of parents, like, you need to, if you want to have a little more peace in your life, you need to normalize making some of those mistakes. Oh, completely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think anybody who thinks that we don't make those mistakes is just fooling themselves. I mean, and I call it the organic broccoli conversation. Like when people want to talk to me about, you know, food choices of their co-parent. And I'm like, seriously, we're going to, you know, go down this like, well, all their vegetables are not organic. You know, my child should eat a certain way. And I'm like, your child is going to be fine with their non-organic vegetables. I can assure you, or even with mac and cheese. I, I, yeah, I've, I've had to tell parents like, you don't get to control that. You (laughs) have to, you know, each of you gets to raise your child with your values and, that may not be a value for them. And that's unfortunately, you know, if you were married, you could fight about it forever. And you, you <laughs> say, well, I'm going to do the grocery shopping. And we can't do that. And the, you know, so that's something that you just have to let go of. And that, that's really tough. It is hard. It is really, really hard. And trying to help people understand that letting go of that is one of the things that's going to bring them peace, which is then is going to bring their child success emotionally because they're not going to be embroiled in that conflict. And it's hard for people to see those steps sometimes. Especially when you have really young kids too, because when they're really young, I don't know if you remember this, but you think you can kind of form them in a way that you really can't, you know? Yeah. And I always look at people with really young kids and they're saying, well, my child's not going to do this. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, they will. Yeah. And, or, or they may, but you can't determine that. Yeah. You think it's all you and it's not all you. It's them. They're their own people. So Absolutely. you just, and you don't have the conflict that you're going to ensue to get those organic vegetables is going to be so detrimental, way more detrimental. And eventually your kid's going to have to decide what they like to eat. Just Exactly. Exactly. And I find if people can just understand that their time, 
that's all they can control and they can put help share their values and do it in a way that's respectful, their child is going to actually pick up on those values a little better. You know, they're going to internalize them and not, it's not going to be where they feel like it's a cudgel being used against the other parent. And, you know, it's so counterintuitive, though, for people to, you know, think, okay, well, I'm going to do this more subtly and somehow that's going to actually be better in the long run. And I'm like, trust me on this, you know, (laughs) try it. And they're going to learn different things. So I I can't remember where I read it, but there was something, you know, people don't oftentimes disagree because they have completely opposite values. It's just that their interest in that value might be a little bit different or showing a different way or a different level. There's another one that's a little bit higher. So arguing over these small differences when in fact their value systems are pretty aligned. Right. And uh, they're just going to learn some different things from each parent. And isn't that kind of what we want? We want them to learn. And there's oftentimes where I have to disagree uh, with my co-parenting partner and his wife on things that I can really understand. Like, I'm like, I get it. They're, they're very, you know, um, activists and, you know, anti-weapon, which I am too. But for me, it just didn't extend to squirt guns and Nerf guns or pick up sticks. And so it was like where I, I totally, I'm so glad you're going to teach them that, but I, that that's not how I'm going to run my home, but I'm going to really support you. So sometimes I'll say, yeah, you can't take that over to dad and you know, his wife. That's their belief system. And I really appreciate that. Right. So, but they get to learn different things. And so my son gets to decide. Yeah. And that is what is going to happen over time is they will decide and make those decisions. And I mean, to me, that's the goal of this whole parenting thing is independence, you know, free thinking, thoughtful, independent beings that can go out and care for themselves and be self-directed and self-supportive. And, um, Yeah, it's a process for sure. Well, I mean, Kristen, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. I mean, I just I find your role as a child specialist to be really one of the most fascinating roles in our legal realm. And I think it is just I mean, I think I just love it because I think it's a beautiful thing, like you say, to serve up. And I love thinking of it like I mean, serving up information to parents about their children and just leaving it at that. I mean, is it's a real gift to parents who are open to receiving it. it it's, it's kind of the best role. It is. It's awesome. I'm saying, I just my my work is pretty much even though it's hard, it's it's kind of all the good stuff. You know, it's, it has a lot of meaning to it. And um, I get to leave the, the really the other stuff that's so difficult to the other people. But it's just what I think I kind of what I can offer. And I'm so glad that I found it. Oh, it's amazing. Well, I really appreciate your time today and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and your week. And thanks again for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. And you have a great day. All righty. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.